How many of you never heard that song before? Yes, you did. You just heard it. I'm hoping that that is one that we learn and that we stick with because the message is so timely for somebody like me that likes to ready, shoot, aim. Sometimes we need to slow down and just wait for the Lord. Amen? I invite your attention to Daniel chapter 7. We've been walking through this incredible Old Testament prophetic book, the the book of Daniel. And last time we were together, we started into one of maybe the most unusual settings in all of the Bible in Daniel chapter 7. We see Daniel's vision on his bed at night, and it's a, a vision of three grotesque beasts that are rising up out of the sea of humanity. And each one of them represented God's perspective of the kingdoms of the earth. It was the nations, and we saw the lion that represented Babylon. And then we saw the bear with three ribs in its mouth, representing Medo-Persia. And the leopard that represented Greece and Alexander the Great. And then we saw this nondescript heinous, terrible, ferocious animal that we understand to be the Antichrist that is yet to come. And we're going to move into that a little bit later. And I, I told you before and even this morning that these were all a picture, a vision, if you will, of God's perspective of the kingdoms of the world. Daniel 2 was a, a same dream through the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar, and it was a picture of what man thinks he can accomplished. Daniel 7 is a true picture of the nations of the world. God says that the nations of the world are like devouring beasts, like ferocious animals, that government without God is nothing more than beastly, that it's animal-like. And, and they are attacking and devouring and destroying one another. And as we study through this succession, we saw this as a true picture. I mean, we see it in history. We see it in our world And honestly, we can say it's true even today that we live in beastly times. Would you agree with that? Wars are on many, many fronts throughout the world, all around the globe. Fear and uncertainty. It seems like every single day something pops up on the news that begins to to show us that the kingdoms of the world are fragile at best. And that you cannot depend on them. Now, if you're joining us today and have not been a part, I want to encourage you to go back and maybe listen to or watch some of the previous messages so that you'll, you'll get the context. Because in the middle of Daniel's dream, the scenery begins to change. He's given us this picture of these beasts that are rising up. And all of a sudden, a unique picture comes into perspective. We're going to come back to it in a moment. If you'll kind of push pause there and let's, let's take the storyline a different direction for just a moment. I just want to bear my soul a little bit. I want to kind of share my heart and be reflective if I can for, for just a moment. Over the past several months, I've found myself weighed down. And I've already asked you, anybody else? I mean, you can just affirm that again. Anybody else just been overwhelmed, it seems, in this season of all that's going on in our lives? I, I've been there, struggling in ways. Moving forward, yes. Preaching and teaching, yes. Trying to do ministry, yes. But all the while sort of struggling with a sense of fear and even discouragement. I mean, I'm asking questions. Is our church ever going to all come back together? Will we be able to come to a place of worshiping together? And what does the future of ministry and life look like uh, on the other side? And, and, And all kinds of questions emerge. And I know I'm not alone in those struggles. I mean, there's many of you that I've talked to that have, have sat in my office and we've, we've prayed together and we've talked. And many of you have said, you've, 
voiced that same sentiment and just said, I'm, I'm just struggling. Fear is viciously attacking the hearts of God's people in America today and all around the world. Fear seems to barge into our lives with its demonic sidekicks of worry and doubt and unbelief. And they drone on like a broken record. Fear really is saying to us its most favorite statement, what if? What if this? What if that? And some of you are asking those what if questions. What, what's going to happen if this happens or that happens? And, and as it works out that way, one commentator said it well this way. He said, fear does all it can to make our minds its playground. It steps on the scene and with arguments that seem to make logical sense. And it fervently strives to push us down the slide of worry and doubt. It works tirelessly to silence the Holy Spirit's voice in our spirit. And if fear can get us to think more and pray less, then fear nibbles away at our confidence in God. And many of you perhaps would resonate with the words there of Max Lucado. Well, this text that I'm going to preach to you today and share with you today may be the single most timely text of Scripture I have ever seen God lead me to in my life. Again, I, I just want to say that all of these sermons were planned out a year ago. I kind of worked through this in a, a retreat last fall. And as I prayed through it, God led us to this place of saying prayer is going to be significant in 2020. And boy, did we ever find that to be true. Amen? And the other word was prophecy. We, we wanted to look at a prophetic word. Well, as we look at this, this has been called the age of anxiety. There are fears all around us. Fear of violence. Fear of terror. Fear of lawlessness in the streets. Fear of losing your job. Fear of our future and the, the nation and the future of the world. I know people that have fears of losing their children or a loved one. Fear of loneliness, of, of literally just being alone. Maybe you're a senior today. Maybe some of our seniors that are work, watching at home and, and are joined in with us and connected through those platforms. Maybe you're at this place where your greatest fear is the idea of being left alone. And, and you don't have to be a senior to be there. Maybe you're single and you're praying for God's match, God's choice for you. And you wonder in your life, will I ever find the person that God has for me? And you have this sense of fear that you will not find someone to come alongside in marriage and share life with. You fear not finding them and you're scared of being alone. I read this week that 6.4 million people have been diagnosed with some development in their personality associated with a phobia. And over 22 million people in the past six months have said that they have experienced some level of depression, anxiety, or a sense of discouragement. So one of the great benefits for all of us of being a child of God is that we do not have to live in fear. Let me say that again. One of the great benefits of being a child of God is that you and I do not have to live our lives in fear. We can live lives that are free of fear. And so what I want to do today is just look to God's Word and see what it has for us today. Now, one commentator, a man by the name of Cooper, said that to, in, in order for you to truly understand Daniel 7, that you need to dream a little bit yourself. And so here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to close your eyes because I'm scared that you might start dreaming. Uh, dreaming may be okay. I'm inviting you to do that. I'm not asking you to snore, okay? Don't do that. 
But imagine you're sitting in a movie theater and there are two screens. There's an upper screen and a lower screen. Imagine, if you will, that we're seeing this scene that Daniel sees in his vision played out on a movie screen. And the the screen on the bottom lights up first. It comes to life in vivid, vivid, high-definition color. And as we see it, we're going to see something fascinating because we see the lion charging in. And he's got blood around his lips and he is hungry for more. He is ferocious and menacing. And then he fades out and all of a sudden the bear comes lumbering in. And if you've read Daniel 7, he had ribs hanging out of his mouth from his last kill. It it represented the Medo-Persian army. And Daniel is watching the screen and the lion is gone and the bear comes in. And without notice, it seems, this leopard-like beast comes flying into the picture and the bear is gone. We understand that to be Alexander the Great and his swift and speedy conquest of the nations. Again, these things that Daniel was given have played themselves out actually in history. And then we see this final beast that comes. It's breaking the other nations into pieces. But suddenly with blinding lights, everybody think about this. We've been watching here. And all of a sudden the screen that's on the top comes to life. And Daniel gets a different picture. Daniel gets a different vision. Daniel sees the Ancient of Days seated on the throne room of glory in heaven. What we see in Daniel 7 are the last gasps of breath of the human empires on earth. The Roman Empire in particular. And the kingdoms of the world are coming to an end. And the Antichrist is killed. We see that. We're going to look at the prophetic ramifications in the next couple of weeks. But I just want us to pause and see something unique. And so whether you're a student of prophecy or not, this message will help you. I hope and pray to focus in on something powerful. You see, the Antichrist is destroyed and Jesus Christ sets up a throne and begins to judge all of the nations and to establish his kingdom. So we've jumped to the top part of the screen. Let's pick up in verse 9. Here we go. I watched as the thrones were put in place and the ancient one the Ancient of Days, literally, sat down to judge. His clothing was white as snow. His hair was like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. And a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood up to attend him. And then the court began its session and the books were opened. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. And the other three beasts had their authority taken away from them, but they were allowed to live a little while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, sovereignty over all of the nations of the world so that people of every race, nation, and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end and his kingdom will never be destroyed. Folks, Daniel had a vision of the ancient of days. By the way, this is the only chapter in all the Bible where that phrase is used. It's used three times in Daniel chapter 7, the ancient of days. We are seeing the majestic throne room of God. Church family, 
If you have ever listened to me, listen to me now. Ponder with me for just a few moments the majesty and the glory and the power and the strength and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ponder with me the one true living God. Ponder the creator and sustainer of everything seated on His throne. The one who holds all things in His hand. The one who gives life and the one who is able to overcome death. That's what Daniel sees. And my prayer is that I will, in some feeble attempt, give to you a vision of what Daniel saw. I pray that you would see above the kingdoms of this world, above all of the fray and the confusion and the chaos, you would see that upper screen. You would lift your eyes this morning, no matter how you walked into this place, believing or unbelieving. You may have walked into this place and you've never placed your faith in God. You've never considered the claims of God. You've never thought about what Jesus means to you personally. You, you've said this is a book of, of thousands of years ago. What possible application could it have to my life? Well, I'm glad you're here this morning and God has providentially brought you here. I want you to see five characteristics of God from this text. Five characteristics of or aspects of His character. Number one, I want you to see His eternity. You can jot some of these down because I pray that you would take them and they would lead you later to worship. I want you to see the eternity of God's character. He is the source of of time. I love that statement. He calls him the ancient of days. He, he has always existed. There was not a time ever in eternity past that God was not. God created time. He started time, but he lives outside of time. In fact, this eternal nature is seen all throughout the Bible. Let me give you two or three verses. I'll put them on the screen. You can jot down the reference. Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were born, you gave birth to the earth and the world from beginning to end. You are God. I could stop right there. I'm just telling you, at 4 o'clock this morning, when I read this verse, the pages leapt. The, the, the words leapt off the page and my heart just began to pound. I want you to read it with me. Let's say it together. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and to the world, from beginning to end, you are God. Wow. He is eternal in His nature. And Daniel saw the picture of heaven and he saw the eternal one. Let me give you another one. Isaiah 57, 15. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity. Literally, it says that he inhabits eternity. God lives outside of time, outside of space. He is eternally self-sustaining, self-sufficient. He needs nothing from you. I've said this to you before. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Scratch your head for a minute on that one. He inhabits eternity. He is the one that created all that we see and all that we experience. And why do we have such chaos on the lower realm? Because we have departed. We have walked away. The Bible says like sheep, we have all gone astray. If we follow His pattern, His plan, things go well. When we do begin to diverge from His plan, we find relationships breaking down, finances crumbling. We find governments faltering and clamoring with greed. He is the eternal God. Let me give you another one. Psalm 29.10. I love this. The Lord rules over the flood waters. I imagine if you lived in 
Southwest Louisiana, you would be encouraged there. The Lord rules over the floodwaters. Look at this. The Lord reigns as king for how long? Forever. He reigns as king forever. The second thing I want you to see is this majesty. It flows out of that. Not only is he eternal. It says, I saw the ancient of days. But you know what else it says? It says that he sat down. All the thrones of all of the kingdoms of all of the earth are gathered together and it says that his throne was brought in. It's placed high above theirs as the book of Joel says and he's seated on that throne. The ancient of days sits on a throne. Imagine if you will on that screen the most majestic scene of opulence you can imagine with all of the fineries of life with this beautiful I would imagine throne in uh, this jewel encrusted throne and the king of kings sits on that throne in all of his majesty and all of his splendor and all of his glory his throne is there he's the sovereign judge of the universe and with dignity he stands to judge all the nations he is the king number three I want you to see this his purity the Bible says here in Daniel's dream as he looked at that screen that this majestic powerful ancient of days had hair that was like wool. I love that picture. It's a, a beautiful picture. It says it was a purest wool, white as snow were his clothes. Over and over again, we see that phrase in Scripture, pure as or white as snow. It always refers to purity. In fact, the Bible gives a fascinating picture. It talks about our garments being blood-stained like crimson and it says that he washes them white as snow blood it seems would be something that, that the stain of, of blood would be uh, something that would be even worse but he through his blood makes us purified it cleanses us his majesty his purity and thirdly or fourthly I want you to see excuse me his authority his authority Look at the text yet again. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. Many commentators have said they believe that the wheels on this throne mean that he can go anywhere in the universe he wants. You mean to tell me, Pastor, that the, the fire of God is there? Yes, I thought God was love. He is. But he's also a God of righteous wrath. He's also a God of pure justice. He is a God who will judge with his integrity at stake because he is pure and holy but he's the authority he sat on a fiery throne and a river of fire was pouring out flowing from his presence the bible said he has the power the right to judge we, we are continually exposed to fire in as a picture of judgment in psalm 50 verse 3 write that down our god approaches and he is not silent fire devours everything in his way a great storm rages around it. Maybe you didn't sign up for that movie. Maybe you paid your money to say, you know what, I want the nice, loving, friendly Jesus. I want the nice, happy, grace-filled Jesus. I want the loving, forgiving, tender Jesus. No, here's a picture of this majestic king. And he is seated on a throne that is emanating fire. And he is about to judge the nations. And I think we've lost something of a sense of the reverence and holiness and fear of God. Maybe, just maybe, the fear that we're experiencing collectively would diminish if we would have a greater fear and reverence for God. Maybe if we'd come to the place of, of seeing that scene, that He is not just the baby Jesus in a manger, but He grew up and He will be the King and the Judge who will come with a sword from His mouth and His tongue will issue judgment and it will rightly divide all unrighteousness. He's the judging authority. 
In fact, if we carried this through in Scripture, in the New Testament, we call it the Great Commission. He said, all authority has been given to me. I would think that if all authority has been given to him, whatever he says next is going to happen. All authority is his. You recognize that whatever he says will happen. Why? Because he is the authority. Psalm 97.3 Fire spreads ahead of him and burns up all of his foes. Literally, a fire goes before the Lord and extinguishes his enemies. Number five, I want you to see his deity. I want you to see his deity. And this is just one glimpse. We've just gone to the movies. All of the kingdoms of the earth have vanished away and God shows up in the middle of Daniel's heart, in the middle of Daniel's mind, in the middle of Daniel's dream, and we see his deity. It says that millions upon millions of angels ministered to him. Pastor, my translation doesn't say that. It says a thousand thousands. Well, the idea is a thousand is a perfect picture of completion of, uh, of a long period of time. And he's saying it's a thousand times 10,000. It is multiplied millions, an innumerable number of angels that are ministering to the holiness of God. He is God. Folks, watch this. 800 years before Jesus emerged on the scene, the prophet Isaiah said, "He in a dream, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he went into the throne room of God. This is some years before as we begin to understand who Jesus is as the King of Kings and who John would later see around the throne of heaven. But he saw the Lord and there were angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, that was at least 2,800 years ago. This morning, on the 13th of September, there are angels Attending to the holiness of God as we speak. Because he was holy 2,800 years ago and he'll be holy 28 million years from now. He is perfect in his holiness. Don't miss this. The king of kings, the sovereign one that Daniel saw on that screen is deity. And he's the judge. Listen to me. It says that he opened the books. The court is now in session. The gavel has been wrapped and he's going to call all of those below before him. Let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about this? In heaven, God has a library. You ever thought about that? God has a library. It says, and the books... We're soon to be opened. What are some of the titles in that book? I imagine Miss Margaret Poole would be so thrilled to think about the fact that there's a library in heaven. Moses knew it was there. In the book of Exodus, Moses said this, Lord, if you won't forgive them, blot my name out of your book. Did you know this? Did you know that you... And your life is written down in a book in heaven. The psalmist said something pretty powerful that you and I need to see. Psalm 56, 8. You keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. There is a book in heaven. And if I had to try to put a title on it, it's entitled The Tears of the Saints. Not New Orleans. The Body of Christ. The tears of the saints. When you find yourself sorrowful and brokenhearted, God knows and God records. God keeps up with that. He knows right where you are this morning. Maybe you came into this place and you're discouraged and despondent. Maybe you're depressed. You need to know that God keeps a record of those things. 
And God keeps a record of all that we have done. And God is about to judge all these beastly nations of the world. He will read their activity and all their blasphemy and all their idolatry will be exposed and judged. And now, I want you to know this. Some people have varying interpretations about when and how all these things will happen. We'll get into the prophetic next week. We'll talk more about that. But we can agree on this. Out of all of our different theology about the millennium and the end times, we can agree that Jesus Christ will judge the nations. God will be on His throne forever. God's kingdom will be established forever and forever. And all that is not of His kingdom will be cast into the lake of fire. That is clear. So we see the turmoil on the bottom and we see the upper half, the Ancient of Days, in complete control. The the sovereignty of our divine judge. Skip over verse 11 and 12 if you will. It's, It's sort of like this. He gets the picture of the upper screen and for just a moment he goes back down to the bottom and he paints a picture of the Antichrist, the fourth fourth beast, and the judge smites and kills the Antichrist and casts him into the lake of fire. And then we pick back up in verse 10, uh, verse 13. It's almost like he says, now back to the storyline and we go right back up to heaven. As my vision continued that night, verse 13, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. The Son of Man is brought before the Ancient of Days. You see, we have a picture of God the Father in in clearer language than anywhere else we have. We just have one place where Daniel was given just a picture and he couldn't even fully describe it. Fire emanating from this throne and now the Son of Man comes before the Ancient of Days. Jesus Christ comes before God the Father and he is given authority and I love that it goes directly to what we know that all authority was given to him. The reference Son of Man is often used for Jesus. The Son of God speaks of His deity. The Son of David speaks to His royalty, but the Son of Man speaks to His humanity. And I just believe this. Rick, we talk about the nations a lot. As we think about the nations in Psalm chapter 2, God the Father speaking, I believe He's speaking to Jesus, and He says, ask of me and I will give the nations to you. And this is an answer to that prayer. God gives to Jesus all the nations of the world and there He is going to judge. Listen to this in Revelation eleven fifteen. Jot that down. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. And the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and He will reign forever and ever. Psalm 72, 11. Let me put that one. I think I've got it on there. I want you to read it with me. Let's read this one together. All kings, let's all read together. Here we go. All kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. I got excited and didn't read the all. (laughs) How many nations will serve him? Are you a part of a nation? Will your nation serve him? 
You better believe it. All nations will serve Him because all kings will bow before Him. He is the King of kings. Let me give you one more. Revelation chapter 19, verse 15 and 16. From His mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe and on his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, all those great magnets from all of the nations and all of the ages will stand thinking that they have somehow done something, but they'll be in the presence of the complete sovereign one who will judge them all. He is here visible. Every nation brought before him, and he judges them as the King of Kings. And some of you might say, how did he get that authority? Listen, folks, you need to see this. Because one One day, the Son of Man came before the Ancient of Days and the Ancient of Days gave to the Son of Man all authority, all dominion, all power and said, you can rule and reign forever. And we understand this triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit working in unison for His own glory has given a plan of redemption from the very beginning. The prophecy shows the futility of human government. And how the kingdom of Jesus Christ supersedes all the kingdoms of man. The kingdom of Christ is unlimited. And the kingdoms of this world are throttled down. (laughs) They're, They're on a short leash. The kingdom of Christ is unique. And all the others are just typical. They're common. The kingdom of Christ is unified. And all the other kingdoms are torn. The kingdom of Christ is universal and the kingdoms of this world are territorial. They last for a moment and for a a season and God's kingdom is forever. Now, where does all this need to go? Church family, there needs to be a reverence and a fear for God. There needs to be a place where the one thing that we can do to overcome fear is to live our lives in victory and being free and confident in Him comes by being in the presence of God. Here's where I want to turn and go with this. You see, with tears and with fears, we seem to fight against this foe that would assail us and would assault us and would discourage us and divide us. And all the fears and all the phobias of the world, we can stay our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop looking at the lower screen. Begin to lift your head and look to the one who is the King of Kings. I don't think we talk enough about the fear of God. I'm not talking about being afraid of Him. I'm talking about a reverential veneration. I'm talking about worship and respect. That we would honor God who is holy and deserving. That we would allow His holiness to move and motivate us toward a place of obedience. And yes, it's wonderful that we know Him as Father and as a faithful friend. But lest you forget, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is powerful. He is majestic. He is eternal. He is deity. He is judge and soon coming king. And all the destructive and negative fears that rob us of peace and joy and paralyze us and and at times petrify us from experiencing true joy, it holds us back. I, I know people all around me who are dying daily a thousand deaths playing the game of what if. What if this? What if that? Let me say it this way. It is not a sin to feel fear. But you need to know that sin in this way is very possible. Fear taunts us at times. 
and it leads us to bondage. Would you agree with that? You ever been trapped by fear? You ever been paralyzed by a a sense of no control, a perceived lack of control? We become insecure and unsafe that something terrible is about to happen. And Jesus told us over and over again, do not be what? Afraid. Let me wrap it up by giving you a biblical illustration. King David was not always King David. He was a young shepherd boy. And at some point in his life, he wrote Psalm 8. And I'm going to put Psalm 8 on the screen, and we're going to walk through this. We don't know exactly when it happened. It may have happened early in his life when he faced a lion and a bear and a giant named Goliath. We don't know. It may have happened later in his life when a king named Saul, who was deranged and jealous, came after him and tried to kill him and chased him. Either way, David came to the place of saying this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? Great question. The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Let's keep going. When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes to attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be what? Afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. Look at this. I want you to underline this somewhere, jot it down. Psalm 8, beginning verse 4. The one thing that I ask of the Lord, the one thing that I seek the most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. For He will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in His sanctuary. He will place me out of reach in a high rock, in a high place. And then I will hold my head up high above my enemies who surround me. At His sanctuary I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy and singing and praising the Lord with music. If there's a song in your heart to be had and to be sung, it will come when you delight yourself in the presence of the Lord. And here's the deal. Hardy Street Baptist Church, individual believer, dads who are trying to lead a family as a a Christian, moms who are trying to keep all of the pieces together, students who are trying to make sense of the chaos of this world. We desperately need to draw into the presence of Jesus Christ more than anything else. There's nothing else that's needed. We don't need another Sunday school class or another sermon. We don't need anything more than the presence of Jesus. And when he showed up in Daniel's heart and in Daniel's mind, Daniel continued with great confidence and courage. And so did David. David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. That was his testimony. And by the way, he declared it. He said, I will say the Lord is my light and my salvation. That was his testimony. Is it yours? The reason I ask that question is because in just a moment, I'm going to call on you to come forward if you have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to call on you to step out in faith. We'll have encouragers here at the front, just prayer partners, friends, that will share with you from God's Word what it means to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been looking at the bottom screen and you've never looked up. Maybe it's never come into focus that there is even a top screen. And today, God has illuminated your heart in some way and you said, Jesus is the King. That's where this is all heading. See, everything starts to make sense when you have a biblical worldview. We understand where things came from and where they're going. We understand three essential questions. Origin, purpose, and destiny. 
Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? And if you've not answered those questions with anything solid, if you've tried to continually concoct some plan, recognize the Bible says in the beginning God. The Bible says whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the Bible says we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Origin, purpose, destiny. Some of you are walking in fear needlessly. The lyrics of David's own life, through every battle, every fear he's faced, he said, the Lord is my life and my salvation. It it is a song of affirmation and a declaration of his faith in God. Now, let me take one more place. If you will, later on, study for just a few minutes, Psalm 8. Just take this week and look at all the personal pronouns. I, my, over and over and over again. I want to put one more statement on the screen you need to hear. First-hand faith is absolutely necessary for you to face your fears. You can't just say, well, my parents were Christians. Well, I, I go to church and I listen to somebody else preach or teach. No, you need to personally respond to the Lord Jesus Christ today. And when you do, if you're going to face your fears, you see, David said, the Lord is my light. He is my salvation. He is my refuge. He is my stronghold. And some of you say, I don't know the Lord. Well, you can today. You can trust him today. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. I would say it this way. If we're going to overcome fear, we need to glance at our problems. And this morning, we need to gaze at our God. Amen? Have you ever thought about the power and majesty and glory of God? Some of you will walk away and say, you know, our pastor didn't do a very good job trying to explain that. Some of you, one day, will look at that screen in real living color. You'll see the Lord. And when you do, you'll say, our pastor did such a pathetic, puny, impotent, anemic job trying to describe. You're right. (laughs) Daniel couldn't describe. He just said there was fire running everywhere. (laughs) Glorious, radiant. Brilliant power, majesty. You can meet the Lord today, the Savior. Oftentimes we quote Romans 3.23. It says the wages, excuse me, it says all have sinned and fall what? Short of the glory of God. Would somebody like to finish the rest of it? Most of us don't go on. You said, well, I finished the verse. You're right, but you didn't finish the sentence or the fault. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Romans 3.24 says, but God in his grace has made us right with himself through Jesus Christ. Why are we proclaiming bad news? Why are we walking around Hattiesburg saying, you're a sorry, no good sinner. All fall short of glory. Guess what? You're right. We all fall short. But praise God, he has made us right through Jesus. And today, you can be right with Him. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. And as they do, I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come, our encouragers to be here. And I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, I would ask you to stand. And as you stand, know that I'm asking you very pointedly, very publicly, would you come and trust Jesus Christ today? If that's the need of this hour in your life, would you boldly step out? You say, I don't even know what I'm stepping forward toward. These folks will just simply take God's Word and help you understand what it means to trust Jesus Let's stand together. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
who is the Son of Man, who is the King of Kings, who is the Lord of Lords. Oh, would you move in power today, God? Would you draw people to yourself that are on the fence, that are struggling, that are maybe in a place where they just don't know where they'll spend eternity? God, Daniel was given such a beautiful and clear picture of your throne. God, I pray that we would surrender today and allow you to be the king of our lives. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, you come.